What a blessing. Remember 5 o'clock today, I don't think we made an announcement, this is another planning meeting for the block party. We want to plan early summer, so I encourage you if you have a heart there to come and to serve it. I think it will be an exciting time for us as a church family to be able to, to reach out with the love of Christ. This morning, uh, as we continue to look at who is Jesus, and we look at different questions that Jesus shares and we find in the scriptures, I want to look at a, an account that has to be one of my favorites. Because it speaks of the very fact that Jesus loves us so much that he's always willing to receive us with open arms. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter what we think about ourselves, he loves you. Turn me to John chapter 8. We'll look at verses 1 through 11. But Jesus, will stand with me in honor of God's Word, honor of God as I read His Word. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery and made her stand before the group said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses... In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray. Father, it is good to know that as the accuser, the one who is our enemy, stands before the throne of heaven and shouts out, Guilty! He is guilty. She is guilty. Father, um, how wonderful it is to know that you have set us free. You have paid the price in full. You have provided complete, absolute forgiveness without question. Lord, help us to know that, God, and to live in that truth and to trust you and to gain that if we haven't done that yet. Father, guide us in this time that remains, Lord, as we look at this great account. Speak to our hearts, God, in your power. We love you, Lord. We need you. Father, I just pray for your anointing as I seek to share. And Father, I open our hearts, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.
Compassion. I mean, Jesus looks at this woman who's obviously been caught in sin, and he says to her, Has has no one condemned you? Heard about a boy who wanted a puppy desperately. You know, puppies are they're great most of the time. They can be trouble, but this kid really wanted a pup, so went to the pet store, he went over to a new litter of puppies and he started inspecting the puppies, picking them up, looking at them carefully, putting them down. Finally, he found just the right puppy. The one he wanted, the one he had been searching for. So he went to the counter and he said, I need to know, how much are the puppies? And the person at the counter gave him a price and he goes, that's too much money. He said, can you hold him until I can get back? And the attendant said, you better hurry. These puppies go quick. He said, well, it'll probably be here. He said, but I'll work hard so I can get back. And so he went to neighbors, found out some odd jobs he could do to earn some money. And then as quickly as he could, he came back to the pet store. It was a busy day. The owner was helping other customers. The little boy, he came to the counter and he put on the counter a wad of cash, a wad of bills, ready to pay for that puppy. And he finally got the attention of the store owner. The store owner came over there and he said, Yes, sir. He said, I came in here sometime back looking for a puppy. I, I went and I earned my money and, and I'm, I'm ready to get my puppy. He goes, Great. Okay, son. And he, so the tenant went over. He, I mean, the store owner went over. He got the puppies. He came back with a, the litter. And, and the little boy looked in there and he picked out the puppy he wanted. And he looked and he said, This is the one I want. And the store owner looked puzzled. He said, Well, son, that puppy is sickly that puppy's very skinny and uh, the puppy has a bad leg he can't run with you he said no you don't understand this is the one i want this is the one i need he goes okay but just know that and so he paid for the puppy put him in his arms and as he hobbled out the door the store owner looked at the bottom of the little boy's leg and noticed a brace and he understood why that was the puppy the boy wanted. You know, there's a, a verse, guys, in Hebrews 4.15 that reminds me how awesome God is. I, I just want to look at... Uh, well, I'll start verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Guys, Jesus has been there. He was tempted in every way. He can show compassion as no one else can. And yet He's without sin, and He's the only one who can love us as we so desperately need to be loved. Webster defines compassion like this, as consciousness of others' distress together with a desire to alleviate it. It's not simply pity. Pity's passive. It sits with arms folded, mouth frowning. It may feel deeply, but not deeply enough to act. Compassion, on the other hand, puts shoes on. That's God. As you look in the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament, 
penned by the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, it's a terrible time of desperation among God's people. Uh, it's, the people felt that there was no hope. And in that time is one of the most beautiful sections of God's truth given to His people. In Lamentations chapter 3, I want to look at verses 22 and 23. That echo this wonderful little section of, of, of God's Word. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do you remember the the great story that Jesus told and found in Luke 10? We know as the Great Samaritan. You know, it talks about two religious guys that come by on the road and there's this guy that's been beaten up, left for dead. The priest and the Levite, they come by and they're too busy to stop and attend to this guy's needs. And then a guy comes by who should be his natural enemy. What does he do? He stops and he he helps the guy right there. He he, he seeks to bind his wounds and, and he carries him to an inn where he can get more medical care. He he shows concern. He shows compassion. You know, he's got the shoes of love on and he, he, he goes to take care of this guy and he leaves money to take care of the needs that will happen later on. He, he shows love. He shows concern. And as Jesus tells the story, he's talking to an expert in the law, a lawyer, it says in Luke 10. And Jesus says, uh, who is the one that God approves in this? And the expert of the law says, well, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Be a person of mercy. You got it so caught up in the law, so caught up in who's justified and who's right. Show it by loving with compassion, by reaching out. That brings us to John 8. Um, guys, go ahead and head that way. Uh, I guess today, if we think the story of the Good Samaritan, we think more of the Jews and the Palestinians and the hatred and prejudice that's there. How tough it is to love someone that you grow up hating for obvious reasons. And God says, yet, be compassionate. It's interesting as you look in the Scriptures because it says that at one time we were objects of wrath. But because of His great love that's poured out to us in Christ Jesus, it's changed. Man, what an awesome truth. Now, before we head into John 8 here, let's use a little sanctified imagination in our minds. Let's say that one night you're headed home. It's late. And you see a guy, uh, as you look out of your car, that's laying uh, over there in the field, and he's, man, he's been, he's been shot, he's, he's bleeding, and uh, there's some medical people attending to him, and you're like, what in the world's happened? And you jump out of your car, and you run over there, you know, you're, you're frantic, you, you want to make sure everything's going to be okay, and you find out that this guy's a notorious gang leader, and he was caught trying to rape a woman, and she shot him. And you know, suddenly your mind changes a little bit and says, you know, he is a crud ball. 
And, and then, let's say on another occasion, you find out that a woman has been hit by a car, hit and run driver. They're trying to find out what happened. And you discover that uh, she was a streetwalker. Part of your mind says, well, she shouldn't have been out doing that in the night anyway. That, that, was, that, that wasn't right. That, that's evil. That, that's a life that's bound to end up in a dead road. It's easy for us, when we look around us and we see those who aren't as moral and upright, that have the integrity that we feel we have, to not be quick with compassion. Now, think about this. Here we are in John 8, this account. and We look at the last verse in John 7. Then each went to his own home. Remember, Jesus didn't have a residence he didn't have an address, nowhere to lay his head. So in the next verse we read, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. Man, picture it. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He taught like no other person with the power of God. And people loved him. People flocked to him because why? People knew He loved them. They could sense that about Jesus as they had been with Him and as they watched Him. And they wanted to come. They wanted to hear Him. And as they sat down, here goes class, students, to learn about God. To learn about God's love. To learn about what God wants. And as they sit and as they have class, class is rudely interrupted. Wouldn't it be tough to be a seminary teacher and all of a sudden class is rudely interrupted like this? I mean, look at what the Scripture says. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Uh, That very word that says uh, brought in literally means she had been seized. She had been overcome. She had been overtaken. I can picture her being drugged by her hair, brutally pulled in, Her clothes ripped. Why? Because, you know, as you read this text, they didn't care about this woman. As a matter of fact, it really wasn't about her at all. It was about their hatred for Jesus. As you read further on here in the text, you discover that this was a trap. Verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They had... They had called her, they had pulled her in, all in an attempt to accuse Jesus, to turn the favor of the people against Jesus, to nail Him with Rome. And forgive me for being somewhat graphic, but the very Greek word means in this situation when they came in with her, they had literally pulled her from her partner and forced her before Jesus. I mean, this had just occurred. This has just happened. Where was the guy in all this? Their charge can be found in Deuteronomy 22, 23, and 24. If a man happens to meet in a town a virgin pledged to be married and he sleeps with her, you shall take both of them to the gate of that town and stone them to death... The girl, because she was in a town that did not scream for help, and the man, because he violated another man's wife. You must purge the evil 
from among you. You see, in the Old Testament times, this was not called an affair or a fling. And this was serious in God's eyes. The law demanded uh, death by both. It's interesting as you look in the Mishnah, the Jewish writings, we discover that the execution was to be different. Now a man, they would put him into dung up, up to his waist, and then they would literally suffocate him. They would strangle him unto death. They would place a cloth around his neck, and then they'd take a noose and, and just literally strangle the very life out of him. Show the judgment of God. A woman, they would come with stones and they would stone her to death. And as, as these Pharisees, as these teachers of the law drug her in condemnation, you could see the people looking for stones, ready to carry out the judgment that was in God's law to purge the evil from among them, to carry that out. Now what happened to the guy? Well, maybe he just escaped somehow. But you know, if there was enough of them to catch her, it's kind of hard for me to believe. He just kind of ran off and got away. I mean, caught her. Well, could it be that they just let him go? I mean, after all, this was a trap to catch Jesus, so maybe they just let him go. But there's a third possibility that really makes me wonder. What if he was one of them? What if he was one of the accusers? What if he was guilty? The one who dragged her before Jesus. There's nothing quite like a religious hypocrite, is there? Oh, how it hurts the cause of Christ. And I guess to some degree we're all less than we think we are or that we claim to be. So in some sense there's hypocrisy in all of us. But blatant hypocrisy for those in high positions who are spouting out God's words and God's laws and God's commands. Man, it just hurts God's kingdom and the thrust of doing God's work. Hypocrisy. It's like the story uh, I read about about this couple was coming home from church. And as they headed home from church, they looked over in a pasture and they saw the most amazing thing. It was a pig with a wooden leg. They thought, a pig with a wooden leg? What in the world? And so they stopped the car, they went over to the house, knocked on the door, farmer came to the door, and they said, we, we've never seen a pig with a wooden leg. Man, this is amazing stuff. Why? And the farmer said, well, that's an amazing pig. Our grandkids came not too long ago to stay for a few days. Well, they hadn't been there but just a number of hours when they climbed over the fence into the pasture and here come a bull ready to charge. And that pig came out of nowhere and got between my grandkids and the bull. Literally saved their lives. And then the next day, another amazing thing occurred. Uh, my granddaughter jumped in the pond and she couldn't swim. She started to drown and that pig jumped into the water, got a hold of my granddaughter, pulled her out of the water, saved her life. That pig's like family. We love that pig. And the reason that pig's got a wooden leg is I just can't bear to eat her all at one time. 
how it can look good and, and yet cause so much damage. Look at how Jesus handled this. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. You know, they came to trap Jesus. They heard he was a person of compassion, but they knew what the law said. What would Jesus do? How would he handle this? He didn't handle it immediately with a lecture. But he got down on his knees and he began to write in the sand. Now, what did he write? We don't know for sure. Wouldn't it be great if we had some insight into exactly what he wrote? But it's interesting, this very word that's used is also used in Job 13.26. And remember, Job caught some real um, accusation, criticism from his so-called friends. Job, you're in this mess. It's all your fault, buddy, you know, and all that. And So he goes off and he just says, look, man, I'm serving God, okay? And so in verse 26, you know, you get in chapter 13, he goes down here and he says, uh, For you write down bitter things against me and make me inherit the sins of my youth. You fasten my feet in shackles. You keep close watching on my paths by putting marks on the soles of my feet. That word, you write down bitter things against me. It's to write against. He's saying, you write down these bitter things that, that are against me, that criticize me. The same word used here. Jesus wrote in the sand. He wrote against. Could, could it be what, it, what he's referring to here in the Scripture? Could that be an insight that says, what Jesus did is when he got on his knees, he began to write down the sins of the accusers in the sand. Made his list. As they were ready to accuse, as they were ready to strike her with those stones, they began to see the sins. How, how did he know that? How was he able to... Where did he learn that? We don't know. But we see that as he did this, Jesus finally speaks. He says, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, but neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Guys, I love that. Man, we're all messed up one way or another. And here this woman is. She's been brought forward with this sin that demands execution. And Jesus says, okay, guys, you want to judge her so fiercely... Are you without sin? And they have to walk away. It starts with the oldest, moves down. Why? Because they've committed more sins. They've been around longer. And, and so they leave first until there's no one left. He says, where are your accusers? Has, is no one going to condemn you? And she says, no one. Man, it's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. If you'll come to Jesus, if you'll be honest before Him, if you'll say, I need you to forgive me. I need your hope. I need your life. He will. He will. Now, as I close, I want to share a story with you from you know, Max Lucado. What a great writer he is, isn't he? But he tells a story from down in um, Brazil when he was a missionary there 
of a lady named Maria. And I'm, I'm just going to read it. He, he can do it so much better than I can tell the story. Somewhere in Brazil, in a poor neighborhood, in a tiny red-tiled house, Maria lived with her daughter, Christina. On the gray, faded walls were a few tokens of their lives, an old calendar, a faded photograph of a relative, a wooden crucifix. They had little furniture, small cots, a wash basin, a wood-burning stove. Maria was raising her daughter alone because her husband had died. She had worked hard to provide a living, and she had done her best to raise her daughter. Now, Christina was 16 years old and very beautiful. Her black hair and black eyes and olive skin turned the heads of many young men, and her outgoing personality drew them to her. She had a way of throwing back her head and laughing that filled the room with her personality. And she also had that rare ability of making every man feel like a king, just by being near them. Christina often spoke of leaving their village and going to the city, and every time the subject came up, Maria's heart tensed with fear. She reminded Christina of the harshness of city life, the dangers on the streets, the temptations, poverty, unemployment. People don't know you there, Maria had said. Jobs are scarce, life is cruel, and besides, if you went there, what would you do for a living? Maria asked the question, knowing in her heart that what Christina would probably end up doing if she moved to a large Brazilian city, And that's why her heart broke one morning when she awakened to find her daughter's bed empty. Christina was gone. She had left without even saying goodbye. She had slipped away like a prodigal. And Maria, who knew the ways of the world, knew what Christina would find on the streets of Rio de Janeiro. The mother, trembling with fear, quickly threw some clothes into a bag, gathered up her money, and ran from the house. On the way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing. Pictures. She sat in the photograph booth, closed the curtain, and spent all she could on little pictures. Then she crammed her purse full of small black and white photos and boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. As the bus rolled down the roads, Maria thought of the situation into which Christina was putting herself. She knew that her daughter had no way of earning money. She also knew Christina was too stubborn to give up, and that when pride meets hunger, a human will do many things that were previously unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began to search. She threaded in and out of nightclubs, bars, hotels, any place with a reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to the mall, and in every place she left her picture. She taped pictures of herself to bathroom mirrors, to hotel bulletins, to corner phone booths, and on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. Soon Maria's money and her pictures ran out. Though she still had no idea where her daughter was, she could no longer stay in Rio. She wept and boarded the bus for home. Several weeks passed. One day in a city hotel in Rio de Janeiro, Christina descended the steps into the filthy lobby. Her face was tired, her brown eyes no longer danced, and her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare. She longed to exchange her countless beds for that little pallet in her old home. But now she thought, it cannot be. My little village is in so many ways too far away, too far gone. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. What was it doing there? What could it mean? She hurried over to the mirror and removed the small photo. Written on the back were these words. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, It doesn't matter. Please come home. And Christina did. I 
I give the same invitation to you. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, please come home. Over just a couple of chapters, John 3.16 that we all love so much. As you go through 16 through 18, uh, we read, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You see, guys, the truth of God's Word here is that we stand condemned already, but the condemnation is not God's heart. He sent His one and only Son. To die for you. Through Him, there is no condemnation. I love Romans 8 where it says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful men to become a sin offering for us. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. That great. You see, instead of condemning you through the cross, he condemned sin. Man, he took away its power and set you free. I can't force anyone here who has never received such an incredible gift to receive it. But, man, I can plead with you. Don't miss his love. He says, whatever you've done, Whatever you become, it doesn't matter. Just come home. That's the invitation to come to Christ. Maybe you have given your heart to Christ before, but for some reason you're strayed. He still says, come home, starting you. Let's pray. God, thank you for allowing us to be in your house today to look at this awesome account of how you showed compassion to this woman, God. How you said, I refuse to condemn you. This goes. Leave your life of sin. God, you speak today the same way to each of us. May we respond unto you, Master. May we come with open, honest hearts. And may we receive your gift of life and forgiveness. And your gift that has chosen to Take away condemnation. We love you, Lord, and we look to you, Father. Have your way in this time we call invitation, a chance to do business with you. Work by your Spirit for your glory. In the wondrous name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.